afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin today by calling in the spirits that they might support us today in our proceedings. I call out to our ancestors, to yours and mine, to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in your ancestral line, to all of those who bring to you your legacy, to all of those who dreamt of a future, and so you are here as an answer to that dream. I call out to all of those ancestors to be with us here today to gather round us, to hold us well, that we might learn from those who have gone before us, that we might hesitate in that misstep that has been made again and again and again and step a bit to the right or the left and open up a new possibility. We ask those who have gone before us to be with us in this day that we might go forward in a new way that involves inspiration and illumination and healing and change while we still honor and respect all those who have gone before. We call out to the earth, the great being of this planet on which we are all residing, which we all call home. We call out to this great being and give thanks for the miracle of life, rare and precious as we know it, at least. We give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life to this planet that we might share it here together through connection and interconnection with other humans, with other forms of life, with the elements of the planet itself, the geography, the oceans, the great mountains, the air. With all that is here, we give thanks. May we remember the great beauty of this place and our responsibility as dreamers to dream well, that we might cultivate a dream worthy of our descendants. And from this place on earth, this place of grounding and belonging and interconnectedness and home, we reach up to call out to the energy of the sky to come down to the highest power of the universe, true yang energy, by whatever name you call this energy, call it down. Call down that highest power of the sky to come down into your body, into our proceedings here today, to merge with the energy of the earth, to bring us each into balance, the exact perfect balance that we need in this day, and to bring us generosity and blessing and protection in our proceedings here today. We call out to these energies and ask them to merge within us and help us to call out that most important energy of the heart. We call out to the wisdom of the heart that is the same in all realms. And we call out to this place within each one of us and ask it to do what it does in a way nothing else within us does. It is the place that mediates and balances and recognizes, acknowledges, and merges the deep passions of our belly. Those passions that carry in them our soul's true purpose with the clarity and inspiration and creativity of the mind. And merges these energies in the heart that we might discover what our true purpose is here in our life and to bring it forward into the day, into the world, into full manifestation in a way that is good for all living things. So with these powerful spirit energies called around us here today, I welcome you all to today's show, which is one of my favorite topics, shamanism and love. So I would like to give gratitude first off to those who make the show possible. To Endrick in Estonia, 
can't tell you how excited I was to receive a donation from Estonia. That is so cool. And to Daniel and Renata and to all of the listeners who have donated to the show. If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, know that you are now able to donate easily uh, to express that exchange of energy between you and the show and you and the world and the show and all of that. Uh, It's very easy. You just go to whyshamanismnow.com. This is the show site. All of the episodes are there to um, listen or download. So you just go to the site and click on the support button. And every dollar that you donate, no matter how large or small, every dollar goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And for your generosity and reciprocity, I give thanks. So as I said, today is the final show in our summer blockbuster series of um, shamanism and death, life, sex, and love. And today we are talking about love. We are also live today. Um, And you are invited to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype. And the easiest way to do that is click the button on the cocreatornetwork.com site. Um, Or you can email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org. And, of course, you can find out information about classes, et cetera, um, about Last Mass Center um, at the website, which is lastmasscenter.org. So, with all that organized, let us begin. So, I journeyed uh, to find out about what did I need to say about love. It's a great big, huge topic, boundless and without uh, qualification. And I only had an hour to talk about it. So, where should we begin? And um, so, I asked, why would the spirits bother to teach us about love because love is all that there is and I know you've heard this before I think it's on a bumper sticker but what does it mean Um, that's what the spirits have taught me through my shamanic practice my personal shamanic practice mostly but also through some of the teaching what the spirits have taught me is what what love means And what does it mean that all that there is here is love? So this all really began as I was a child. So when I was a kid, little kid, I listened to what people were saying to me. You know, I wanted to be a good girl just like every other first child. And, you know, I was pretty normal. And everybody told me that God is love. And they also said that God is everything. You know, it's in everything. It's in the trees. It's in you. God created everything. God, 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 God. And they worked very hard to get me to understand that these two things, without really considering what those two things meant. It was always about God created everything. God is in everything. God is in you. You know, blah, 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 blah. The important part seemed to be to get me to give it over to God. And as far as they were concerned, it was all about God as far as I could tell, as a child. And none of that was really very interesting to me. What was interesting to me was the implication of these two things that they were teaching me. So if God is love, and that's fine, I'm happy to accept that. So if God is love, and God is everything, which is also fine, and I'm happy to accept that, then what that means is everything is love. That's what was interesting to me as a child. It was very simple child logic. Think about it. If God is love and God is everything, then everything is love. No need for the middleman. <laughs> That's pretty much my perspective as a child. And so my whole hypothesis from childhood was that everything is love. So that's my hypothesis. So I spent most of my life 
testing that hypothesis, trying to understand, given my experiences in life, whether or not it was true that everything is love. So I followed this arc through my life, actually. I mean, it really shaped many of the decisions that I made in life, not that I was necessarily aware at the time I was making them, but nonetheless, I see this arc through my life when I look back, all the way into chemistry in college, where I was really looking for an explanation of how things worked, because I wanted that explanation to see if it was true, you know, that everything was love. Um, So I was really still looking to see, you know, still working on my hypothesis. And I learned two really interesting things I didn't really expect to have happen in chemistry because I was pretty much of a nerd and not terribly spiritual person. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have taken a course in shamanism offered to me at my university. You know, I was um, a nerd. Um, And I learned two things in chemistry uh, that to this day fascinate me. One was this constant. I frankly can't even exactly remember the name of the constant, but in chemistry there's lots of constants like pi and things like that. So anyway, there was this constant and this constant is a number. It's found in everything. Every experiment you ever run, there is this constant that is sort of like an energy. No one knows what it is. It's always the same. And everybody always assumed it was error in the equipment. But by the time I was in college, the equipment was pretty good and the, um, it was the accuracy of the equipment was far beyond this constant. And even though the equipment could now measure things, then the experiments accurately, the constant remained. And no one knew what it was. No one could make it go away. Um, no one could define it. And it was present in everything. And I listened to the explanation of this constant and some large number with lots of you know, numbers after the decimal point. And I thought, hmm, that's God. That's close enough definition for me. There we've got it. You know, and for me at that moment, religion and science merged. That was, that was it. So, so there was this energy that was present in all things. No one knew what it was. You couldn't destroy it. It was always there. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing that was interesting in chemistry is that, well, for me at least, is I had a a mystical experience in the middle of a lecture on Einstein's theories of relativity. Um, And, you know, Einstein's theories of relativity are pretty interesting as it is, but to throw a mystical experience in on top of them was really very life-changing. So I was sitting there listening to the theories, you know, trying to really get what they meant because they're not, you know, it's not easy so I'm trying to get what they meant. And, and so I was looking at my hand taking the notes as I was listening to the lecture. The desk that I was sitting in, which was solid. So my hand is writing down, capturing thoughts, which are elusive and not solid. Um, the desk is solid. This is what I'm sitting in, that I'm writing the notes. And I look to my right, and my friend Jenny Brophy is sitting there. And Jenny Brophy had this amazing, huge head, more head wasn't huge, but her hair was huge, this huge amount of this really curly blonde hair. It was just unbelievable hair. And there was something about the the fluidity of the thoughts, the solidity of the desk, and the insanity of that hair all coming together with the information in the theories of relativity that all of those things were made up of the same things. That at the atomic level, all of that is the same. And I snapped into a mystical experience at that point and only got pulled out of it 
because the professor, having noticed that I was no longer paying any attention to what he was saying, asked me some question and yanked me out of it, which I'll never forgive him for. But nonetheless, so here I've had this mystical experience and I've come to really understand what science is telling us, that everything is made up of the same thing. And we can keep smashing those into little and little bits, but we're never going to get it because it's all the same. And we don't know what this is. It behaves weirdly. It behaves differently. It does many, many strange things. It is the great mystery. As the indigenous people mean it. It is the great mystery. So everything is everything. So everything is made of the same thing. And that thing that is unknowable and unmeasurable, well, I guess we can measure it now. But anyway, but that thing that we don't know what it is, is the great mystery. It is love. So we don't need religion to take us there. Not that you should all stop going to church or temple or mosque or wherever you go. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we don't need the superstitious aspect of religion to make us take a leap of faith to get there. It's right here in the physical world. We live in a time when science can take us there. If a kid born in Roseburg, Oregon, for goodness sake, who went to public school, can find her way to this idea at four years old, we really have no excuse to not get there ourselves. And yet love still challenges us. Love is the most difficult and dangerous form of courage. Courage is the most desperate, admirable, and noble kind of love. This is a quote that I like from Delmore Schwartz. Love still challenges us. Love is the most difficult and dangerous form of courage. Courage is the most desperate, admirable, and noble kind of love. So what is love? Okay, let's talk about what it's not. Love is not the stuff of the stories of your family of origin experiences. I mean, there might have been some love in there, which would be great. But there is a journey that happens to people when they're learning shamanic journeying. And it always happens within the first two years, if not the first two months, actually. It happens randomly, and rarely is it actually the answer to the question. This is, this is the journey that I call the love of the universe journey. So it usually happens to people, not necessarily as a response to anything they think they're doing in the journey. And what always happens in this journey is they ask their question, and they get their answer, and blah, 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 blah. And the reality of their own dysfunction, for lack of, a brother, uh, of another word around love, the reality of their questions about love, the reality of their uncertainty about love slips out as a question. They don't know it's happening. It's just there. And they're helping spirits respond by being what I believe is the deepest truth of what all of these helping spirits are. They simply become this open channel between the person asking, you know, the person who's there in the journey, and the universe, the source, the, the, the great energy of all that is, the, whatever you want to call that. The helping spirit becomes purely that conduit. And that true energy of the source flows through that conduit to the person in the journey. And that person is bathed, is saturated, is immersed in the love of the universe. 
And I don't remotely believe that love is personal. I don't believe in some personal God up there judging who should be loved and who shouldn't. I don't believe in that at all. It's all energy, folks. That's what I believe. It's all energy. And all that is happening is that the helping spirit is creating a conduit between the person who's having a human experience and the big all that is, the source, the source from which that person came. So it is a moment in which that person is experiencing reality in its deepest, truest sense, that source energy, that love that is everything. And people come out of that journey Reluctantly, number one, but they come out of that journey weeping and they're weeping, cleansing tears. They're weeping and weeping and weeping. And it's a somewhat uncontrolled weeping, but it's not of grief. It's not of depression. It's not of hopelessness or sadness or all these other things that take us sometimes into racking tears and sobs. It is this incredible Deep cleansing tears, deep weeping of cleansing away all that one believed before about the limitations and the frustrations and the challenges of love. And it's all washed away in that moment by that experience of reality that rings the truth cord so soundly that every cell in the body vibrates with the feeling that it's gone home. And in that moment, that person knows love and is completely in love. And it is all entirely about that person and their relationship with their universe. And people have this experience all the time, journeying. And this, I believe, is one of the greatest gifts of our helping spirits is that they teach us the true nature of love and help us to get out of the way so that we can come into right relationship with it. So after this experience, this journey experience, people start to get the hint that our tiny, tiny stories have very little to do with love, that these stories, you know, all those stories they write pop songs about, and, you know, romance novels and all that stuff, all those stories, they're not about love. They're about need and want and what you did or didn't happen to get as a child, what did or didn't happen to you as a child, who was or wasn't there for you as a child, that these are stories about your life. They're not right or wrong. They are stories about your life, but they're not about love. They don't define love. As I've said many times before, as an adult, you need to go to that file cabinet in your mind and clean out the love file. In fact, let's go there now. Why not? Unless you're driving the car while you're listening to this podcast or operating some form of heavy machinery, if you are able, uh, sit or stand for just a moment. I'm not going to ask you to go into your heart, oh my God, or into your body, Ack! you know, like I do in some meditations. You're just going into your head and hopefully you're already there anyway. I mean, you are listening after all. So just go into your head. Imagine your head as a space and look around. The old stuff is most likely not been converted to digital information, right? So somewhere in the space of your mind is a file cabinet, most likely. Hopefully, it's actually a file cabinet and not just a box of miscellaneous papers. 
it's most likely a file cabinet because as a child, we do try very hard to organize things. So I'm not quite sure the organizational system of your file cabinet, but nonetheless, there's usually a file cabinet. Now, as you go forward in time, you might find other forms of of information storage and information retrieval in your mind. But what we're looking for is what you stuck into the love file as a child. So find the file cabinet. Move around through the space of your mind. You can walk around in there. It's your mind. You can go wherever you want to, and there's nothing scary in there but you and your own crazy ideas. So go ahead and walk around in there until you find the file cabinet. And for those of you that have lots of rooms up there, just you know, look for the room that says you know, files or storage or something. But anyway, find the file cabinet. Visualize yourself moving to the file cabinet, opening up a drawer so you get a sense of what the organizational system is. Since most of you went to school and learned a language, it is probably filed under the alphabet of your original tongue. Maybe not, but most likely. So sort through based on the language of your original first language, sort through and find the word for love, whatever that is in your mother tongue. And for those of you that got raised by nannies, it may be filed in that language. It may not be your mother tongue, but it may be the language of the woman who cared for you. You never know. It's interesting. It's an interesting question just to find out how your file cabinet is sorted, frankly. Nonetheless, it's there somewhere in the files, your file for love. Notice if it's a big thick file or a little thin file. Notice if it's got any stamps on it like confidential or dangerous information or anything like that. But ultimately, after you look at the file, take a nice deep breath and let exhale. Take a nice deep breath and pull that file out. Just pull it out. It's all right. You know, this is not Mission Impossible. You're not going to get caught. It's your files anyway. You actually already know what's in there. You've just forgotten. And open up that file and begin to sort through what's in there. And you know what? This is your file. If you're finding things in there, you're pretty sure you threw out a long time ago in that 10 years you spent in therapy or that vision quest you just did or because you met someone who truly knew how to love you back when you were 16 and changed everything for you. Who knows all the different places you've learned about love. But as you look through this file, feel free to take out what you know is no longer true. And as you visualize these pieces, they can be pictures, so they can be images, they can be an image that provokes a memory, they can be photos of a memory, they can be words on a document, anything, it's all there in the file. It's a file in your mind, it can expand and contract in any direction. But as you sort through that file, you can throw away what you know in your heart of hearts is no longer true. On the other hand, if you find things there that you wish weren't true, but you know in your heart of hearts still are, that you still hold them to be true, it doesn't do any good to throw it away because your mind will put it right back there. So there you go. 
you found the file cabinet in your mind and you found your love file. You can go back here at any time, look at what is here and decide what you want to do about it. For now, with that insight of what's in your file for love in your mind, go ahead and slide that back. Don't screw up your filing system or you'll never find it again. Put it back where it belongs. And let's leave that deep recesses of the storage in your mind and continue on here today. So what, pe- what we begin to learn from experiencing our helping spirits energy in our journeys and that we begin to experience the energy of our own spirit. And that's one of the subtleties of journeying as a practice, as a personal practice is ultimately you begin to realize that your helping spirits are engaged with you as spirit and you begin to sense yourself as as a spirit being, not necessarily as a human being. Um, So what we begin to get from this work with our helping spirits about love is we begin to get that there's something more going on here about love than the frustrations of our personal dating history. Um, that there's something more going on here about love than our whining to our therapist about the love that we didn't get. So are you not capable of giving yourself that love now? Are you not worthy of your own love? Are you not the one perfectly crafted by your life to love yourself exactly as you have always wanted to be loved? So let's flip that around. You are capable of giving yourself love right now. You are worthy of your own love. You are perfectly crafted by your life to love yourself exactly as you have always wanted to be loved. There is nothing in your life No skill, no practitioner, no teacher, no enlightened being, no guru, no anything. There is nothing in your own life more powerful than your capacity to love. No story of wounding, no abuse or trauma, nothing. Nothing more powerful than your capacity to love. And you are either in love or fear in every moment. So choose. Choose love now. No matter what you have experienced or what you have been told, since everything is love, the source is love, everything, the true nature of everything around you is love, the true nature of you is love, there is nothing more powerful in your life than your capacity to love. And you are either in love or fear in this moment. Choose now. Choose love now. This is a poem from David White. It doesn't interest me if there is one God or many gods. I want to know if you belong or feel abandoned. If you know despair or can see it in others. I want to know if you are prepared to live in the world 
with its harsh need to change you. If you can look back with firm eyes saying, this is where I stand. I want to know if you know how to melt into that fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequence of love and the bitter unwanted passion of your sure defeat. I have heard in that fierce embrace, even the gods speak of God. That's a poem by David White from Fire in the Earth. We learn from spirit that there is something more going on here than personal human scale love. We learn that the universe and everything in it is love. That love is an essence energy we can choose to tend with our lives. And this is what I believe, for me at least, that this poem is about. Are you choosing to tend the essence of love with your life? In How Then Shall We Live by Wayne Mueller. Wayne says, what we choose to love is very important. For what we love leads our eyes, ears, and hearts on a pilgrimage that shapes the texture of our lives. We become what we love. Whatever you are giving your time and attention to, day after day, is the kind of person you will eventually become. This is what I say. I agree with Wayne, but this is what I say. These are the most important things that I have learned from love from my helping spirits. So this, these are the things that I say. First, learn to love everything. Everything is a gift, no matter how painful, how challenging. Now, as a child, you can't necessarily do that. But as an adult, you can certainly look back at that childhood and find the gift. The most important thing about understanding that everything is a gift is to take the next step and learn to unwrap them. They are easier to love that way. If you simply take the belief, because I've told you to or someone else has told you to, that everything is a gift, then all you're going to do is flog yourself with it. And that's not my point. My point is what I've learned from the helping spirits is that everything is a gift. And in the beginning, sometimes those gifts suck. And that what I've learned from spirit is ways to unwrap them, to unwrap the gift. Because the experience that the gift is delivered in is often very, very painful. But if we don't unwrap the gift, if we don't receive it, if we don't learn what is there, if we don't recover the part of ourself that is trapped there, we will repeat the suffering. And so it's really not so much a capacity to live at a higher spiritual belief, to just know that everything is a gift and be open to them. It's more my simple desire not to repeat the same mistakes over again. My desire not to suffer in the same way I've already suffered. And a general frustration and boredom with doing the same things over again. And what I have learned from the helping spirits is that you don't have a choice. Everything is a gift. And unless you unwrap it, it's going to be returned. 
and the next time it's even more painful. So what I encourage you to do with the idea that everything is a gift because everything is love is to learn skills to unwrap the gifts that life has to offer. And this for me has been the greatest gift with shamanism and the helping spirits. They have helped me learn how to weave some of the skills that I've learned from other people into a whole and complete package that allows me to receive life as a teacher. And no matter what level or way in which those messages, those gifts come to me, to learn how to discern what is at the heart of them, what is at the essence there, and to receive that gift, to bring that into myself. Because the bottom line is, the only thing that's really going on here is that your life and the spirit world and your soul, everything is conspiring to get you to collect all the aspects of yourself into one place and to love them all equally. It's not enough just to know what happened, to know how or why you split off. But what's necessary is to retrieve those aspects of yourself. And I don't mean by that that everything is soul loss, but but to learn the different skills necessary for the different degrees of separation and fragmentation to bring yourself back. And your life is offering you that path every day. Every single day in the things that irritate you and the patterns that repeat themselves, in the things that flirt with you, in the things that challenge you. It's your life saying, here, take yourself back. Love him. Love her. You were never meant to be separate in the first place. So this is the first thing that I found with my helping spirits is how incredibly helpful they are. And assisting me in unwrapping those gifts that arrive in unpleasant packages. Because they are so much easier to love out of the box. And out of the box, after the whole thing is unfolded and unwound and understood in a deeper essence and felt in a deeper place, it's just me. It's just some part of me that someone taught me not to love. And that that part of me deserves love just like any other part of me. Because it is of love. Because everything is. Because everything is love. So, it's a bit of a circular argument. But, it is the nature of our human experience to step out of that circle. So we have to learn how to step back in. So the first thing that I've learned about love from my helping spirits is that everything is a gift. And the willingness to learn how to and take the steps to unwrap those gifts has allowed me to become whole and to love myself. That is the discipline there, the discipline of turning over your stones and becoming whole again, welcoming yourself back and loving yourself. That It's a practice. It's a daily practice. It's not done in a sense of perfection, but it's a way of being, a way of living, and that it is the fundamental art of self-love and self-care. So the next thing I learned about love was um, how to know love. That's really tricky, isn't it? Because so often we 
fall for a person only to find out down the road that that person is the perfect reflection of our shadow. And drama ensues. If we have some skills, we might be able to use it. But all in all, things don't go well. So how to know love? What is love? How how do we know what it really is and when we've really found it in our life? It's a very challenging question for humans. So one time years ago, I was uh, distraught once again over love or the lack of it in my life or whatever was happening. And I was journeying because I go to my helping spirits when I have problems, especially problems that seem impossible. And for much of my life, finding a partner seemed pretty impossible. So I was, again, once again, distraught and whining, frankly. And I asked, when will I ever find someone sobbing away in my journey? And the answer was, when you meet someone who can love you as you love others. Okay, not a bad answer, right? And that's one of those answers that makes absolute and complete sense in the journey. And was going to make no sense at all once I got back into ordinary reality. You, uh, when you meet someone who can love you as you love others. Well, that made sense. But I pretty much knew I was going to lose it once I got back. So I asked in the journey, how will I know that? Since basically when I'm journeying, I often ask the equivalent of how will I know it if I trip over it? It's a very, very important question to ask. So I'm journeying along, right? And I've got this answer. When you meet someone who can love you as you love others. And I ask, how will I know that? And then the helping spirits blasted me out of the journey with the answer. They basically just turned the full force of my love, the way that I love others, on to me. And it pretty much blew me out of the journey. If it had been, you know, filmed with special effects, I would have flown across the room and hit the wall. And I, I sat there kind of metaphorically shaking my head, um, having just been smashed into the wall metaphorically. and went, huh, well, that certainly explains my dating history. I mean, there was no way the guys I was picking, the guys I was attracted to because they were ultimately a reflection of my shadow, There was no way those guys were capable of loving in that way. Not that men aren't or women aren't, frankly, depending on what you're looking for. People are certainly capable of loving beautifully. But I sure wasn't picking them. So that really helped me. We all have that. We all have our own how we love. We all have our own uh, energy there. And... It's not that I'm not saying you need to find someone who loves you as much as you love them. This isn't about quantity. It's about quality. It's about subtlety. It's about nuance. It's about fervor or fierceness. It's about the the way in which you love. Because when you find another person who loves in the way that you love, you both will feel incredibly normal. And suddenly there will be no judgment, no negotiating in relationship about how much we do or don't get to love each other right now. I mean, how many of you have had that experience, one side or the other, where the other person is loving too much or loving too little, 
not open enough, too open. How often are the arguments and the struggles and the dynamics of your intimate relationships truly boil down to being an argument about how much do we get to love each other right now? And the main problem is that you're both right. You're just with the wrong people because you're with someone who doesn't love the way that you love. And when you find someone who loves the way that you love, all of those arguments are gone because you're normal to each other. Loving is just loving, and that's how it works. So the next question, though, then is, how do I become a person who is looking for someone who loves the way I love, not looking to find that powerful gut-wrenching attraction to someone who's reflecting my shadow back to me. That is an art. That is the kind of energetic awareness and consciousness in life that, frankly, I could never have done without the help of the helping spirits. Human beings are far too easily fooled by the stories in their own minds and the power of what wants to get out of the shadow. So what does attraction feel like when you're not being attracted to your shadow? which is frankly what's going on most of the time. What does it feel like when you're actually looking for someone who reflects back to you the way that you love? How would you know that if you tripped over it? That is a worthy path of inquiry and healing and transformation and knowledge uh, to embark on with your own helping spirits. There's nothing self-serving about that. It's perfectly fine to work with your helping spirits to organize how you're going to love in your life because there's nothing more important for you to do. Whether you're loving yourself, whether you're loving another person, whether you're loving your work and the world, whether you're loving your kids, it's critically important. Are you tending the essence energy of life, of love, with your life? So it's definitely worth a path of inquiry to find out with your helping spirits how do you love and what do I need to do as a person to find how would I know it if I trip over it how do I find another person who loves the way that I love so that was the second thing that I learned from spirit so for me at that time that answer that I got getting blasted out of the journey and experiencing coming at me what it feels like when I'm loving someone, what it feels like for them. When I translated that action into that answer into action in my life, it pretty much translated to stop whining, live well, be patient, but aware. So I tried to learn to stop whining. I did my best to live well and I did my best to be patient and I'm not a patient woman, but I tried um, and to be aware and that ultimately over time, that single answer, that single journey, and all the journeys that involved out of that, that answer proved to be 100% true. It took some time, but it was the right answer. So the final and most important lesson that I have learned about love um, from my helping spirits came in another journey. And as I said, you know, in the beginning of learning to live with the other one, stop whining, live well, and be patient. Uh, in the beginning, I wasn't so good at the stop whining and the be patient part. Um, 
was pretty challenging, actually. So once again, I was being impatient and whining and distraught in a journey. Um, I'm not sure how much time had passed between these two journeys. But anyway, I was horribly brokenhearted and went into this journey um, and asked, when will I find someone to love me? Seems like a reasonable enough question. You know, tick, tick, tick. I'm not getting any younger. When? I'm trying. I'm out there. What's going on? People bring this problem to me all the time in the healing sessions. You know, we're looking for love. Uh, when? You know, when will I find someone to love me? The answer was absolutely clear. You are here to love, not to be loved. You are here to love, not to be loved. The resonance of truth in that answer rocked my world so strongly. It threw me out of the journey space, and I sat in my room and wept. Wept and wept and wept. And these were tears like the ones I talked about in the beginning of the show. They were cleansing tears. But they were tears of grief as well. Because in the power of that truth, the searing, cleansing fire of that truth, I wept for the wounded child within me that had to be released to make space for this truth that I had just been given. Children need love. Children are here to be loved. Adults are here to love. Period. In the face of that truth, I simply had to grow up. That the wounded child sat right in the space that that truth needed to plug in so that I could live from it. And I knew that that truth was a higher truth than the story of my own wounding. And that's why I can tell you with absolute belief, faith, and confidence that there is no wound in your life that is greater than your capacity to love. Because of this experience right here. And it's critically important that we understand this. This is the most important thing to understand about love. As long as you are looking, you as an adult, are looking to satisfy the unfed needs of your childhood and your relationships, you will find love that is unsatisfying to your adult self. Right, so as long as you're actually unconsciously looking to satisfy the needs of that wounded child in your relationships, that relationship will ultimately be unsatisfying for your adult self. Because that need, that child need, that wounded child need, calls out the mother and the father in your partner. It doesn't matter whether we're talking men or women, gay or straight, it doesn't matter. The point is that wounded child calls out mother and father from your partner. And so you're calling mother and father out in each other to meet the needs of the wounded child. And that love cannot last once the children get the love they need and are healed. Once those wounded children heal, then the room's filled with moms and dads. And I don't know about you, but I don't think moms and dads are sexy. The adult you 
doesn't want to have sex with someone who's their mom or their dad. That's why adult relationships cannot be based on the unmet needs of the wounded child. And understand the distinction here between the wounded child and the child. The child is an archetypal energy that is critically important to be alive and well in a healthy spiritual adult. The wounded child is the shadow of that archetypal energy. And the wounded child, who is the child that didn't get their need for love met, and many other things potentially, sits in that place that robs us of the place we want to place the deeper truth about love, which is that love is all there is. It's infinite, it's everywhere, it's boundless. There's more than enough love and your love is more than enough to meet all of the needs of that wounded child. So choose to love that child now and move him or her out of the shadow so that you can place in that place the truth that you are here to love, not to be loved. And in that relationship of the adult who is standing here looking to give love, and in particular looking to give love in the way that you love, right? That in that adult, the child is alive and well. I mean, it brings awe in relationship, playfulness, laughter, joy, all of this crazy, goofy stuff that people do in their intimate relationship. Child, there's certainly a place for the child, but understand that this is not about your child that is in the way of your adult relationship. It is that wounded child. And you know what, everybody? Take note. That wounded child is just waiting for its needs to be met. And all those people who didn't meet them when you were younger probably aren't even around anymore. So stop waiting. Give that child whatever it needs from the powerful love in your own heart and move along. You are an adult with a way that you want to love. And you need, your soul needs to give love. And that's what your life is about. Not spending your whole life trying to figure out who's going to love this wounded child within you. Your life is about your heart and about love and about how you love and about giving that to the world through your relationships, through your work, through your gifts. The child wants unconditional love. And the adult realizes that love defies all conditions, even the condition of being unconditional. What the adult learns to do is to give unconditional acceptance to others and to the self, to the gifts that life brings, to everything. Unconditional acceptance. And in this state, love can flow freely. The adult, the true spiritual adult, wants to move through the heart and into the world. So the truth about the heart from the adult perspective, is that the heart is a wild thing. The heart consorts with the great mystery when you are sleeping and calls you into passion embrace with things that will kill you again and again. Because it is through this death that you are born into the person you have come here to be. The heart is a wild thing. The heart needs wilderness 
It needs freedom. The child, this wounded child wants safety and unconditional love. But the adult knows it doesn't want love that would accept any conditions. It is a wild thing, the heart. The heart wants wilderness and freedom. It wants the ability to love exactly how it wants to love in this world and to do it. You are here to love. When you find the wilderness of the heart, when you have freed yourself from the stories of need and want, and you can dance that dance of the wilderness, then you are in love. Regardless of where or when or who, you are in love. It doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter if anyone is there. It doesn't even matter what you're doing. Because when you find the wilderness of the heart and you bring that open space to all that you do, then you are in love. Your universe, your world, everything about it is actually ultimately made of love. Now, I grant you there are some very, very, very twisted forms out there right now. I get it. There are some things that would take a very long time to get back to where the love is inside of that expression. But that doesn't mean that the love isn't true. Everything is love. So regardless of where or when or who you are, when you find that wilderness of the heart and can dance that dance of freedom, of openness, allowing yourself simply to love as you love, then you are in love because you are in the flow of the universe. And the nature, the true nature of that universe is love. There's no way out of it other than using your free will to construct for yourself a reality that is utterly against, utterly contrary, utterly removed from the truth of our universe, of our world, of humanity, of all the things born of the dreaming. We're all made of love. That's all there is. That's what it means that love is all there is. That's all it means. It's simple. It's simple and really challenging to do, but what a worthy task. So when it is you and your heart and the universe, then everything gets very simple. And the rest can fall away. When it is you, finally, and your heart. And you understand that all those rules people gave you about love are false. And that your heart is here to love. And you turn that wisdom on to every part of yourself that doesn't feel the love. And you bring them all home. And when you create that place within yourself of love and open up to the wilderness of the heart and seek the freedom to be who you are and to love as you feel called to love and the courage then to go out in life and do it. The courage to love. Love is the most difficult and dangerous form of courage. 
Courage is the most desperate, admirable, and noble kind of love. To love, to do what you have come here to do, which is to love, takes great courage, and there is no more worthy endeavor. So may you be in love today. May you empty that file, place one thing in it. The great truth of love is that everything is love. No need for a middleman or a middlewoman. No need to even have a partner. That love is your true nature. Choose it now. Thank you, everyone, for joining me here today on Why Shamanism Now. I'd like to give thanks to the ancestors for holding us here today, and especially those ancestors who loved well and fed, fed the energy of love in the dreaming. We give thanks to the earth below who dreamt a dream of lovers, lovers and dreamers, and birthed our whole world as we know it into existence. We give thanks to the energy of the sky and to the heart that unites us all. Give thanks to those of you who have donated to the show because it keeps the show on the air for all of us so messages like this can get out and spread about. So please feel free not only to donate to the show to keep us going, but also to share the word, share the podcasts, share the wealth. Let everybody know. It's easy to find. Things are on iTunes now. They're at the Co-Creator Network, and they're also on whyshamanismnow.com. You can't miss them. Any more information you need about me or about classes is at lastmaskcenter.org. And if you'd like to be warned weekly, um, alerted weekly about the show, when it is and what the topic is, we are happy to take your email and send you um, a weekly e-card. And if all you want is that e-card, that's all you get. You don't get put on the big mailing list. And if you'd like to be on the mailing list, you're welcome to do that. Just let us know. So... Next week, we're gonna, we are going to shift from our big blockbuster series of the summer, and we're going to talk about little things. We're going to talk about the, sacred small, the small sacred things and how it is through these little things each day that we cultivate or destroy the sacredness of life. And I'd also like to let you all know that we've had a, Why Shamanism Now has had a um, wonderful development, that the Society of Shamanic Practitioners um, has decided to support, to donate to Why Shamanism Now. And so we will be having monthly shows, which will largely be interviews of shamanic practitioners or people sort of interesting in the shamanic world. Um, and these shows will be kind of dedicated in this reciprocal relationship between the Society of Shamanic Practitioners and Why Shamanism Now. And so we'll begin this show uh, series in September. And our first uh, guest that we'll be interviewing is John Lockley, who is a South African man who practices, um, who is a practicing Sangoma, who is a um, essentially a Zulu shaman. Uh, so... These are the things coming up for you on Why Shamanism Now. Again, please spread the word and help us keep the show live and on the air. Thank you all very much for listening here today. And remember, everything is love.